Romans 12 is where our second scripture comes from today. I invite you to hear these words. So brothers and sisters, because of God's mercies, I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. Because of the grace that God gave me, I can say to each one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Instead, be reasonable, since God has measured out a portion of faith to each one of you. We have many parts in one body, but the parts don't all have the same function. In the same way, though there are many of us, we are one body in Christ, and individually we belong to each other. We have different gifts that are consistent with God's grace that has been given to us. If your gift is prophesy, you should prophesy in proportion to your faith. If your gift is service, devote yourself to serving. If your gift is teaching, devote yourself to teaching. If your gift is encouragement, devote yourself to encouraging. The one giving should do it with no strings attached. The leader should lead with passion. The one showing mercy should be cheerful. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Years ago, I was at a camp uh, with teenage students, and, and at this camp, I'll never forget the heinousness uh, with which a preacher delivered a message one night. And uh, it was a high-energy environment, and the preacher called up uh, a student to come to the stage, and so I think he's got like a sixth or a seventh grade boy up there on the stage with him. And what he wants to do um, in worship there is he, 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 has, he has the kids stand there and he says, listen, when God looks at you, God hates what he sees. To this point, I almost stood up and walked out and stormed out of the environment. And he says, but what happens when we are saved is that Jesus he covers you. It's like he's got a big cloak and he just covers you. And so he kind of like covers the kid, I'll never forget, and says so that when, 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 when God sees you, all he sees is Jesus. And that's the good news of salvation. What I wonder when we read scripture, when we look at what salvation is with what happens in our lives, is does God only change our relationship with God? Or does God actually change us in the process? If God changes first our relationship with God, that is what theologians across time have called imputed righteousness. Okay? It's a legal term, meaning that when God looks at you, God no longer sees the sinfulness that is in you. Right? What that guy was trying to demonstrate, albeit horribly to a 13-year-old uh, and to an audience of them and who were listening with bated breath at every word the moron said. But anyway, um, so uh, 
won't tell you how I feel about that moment. Um, but, but the idea, right, that, that, that God's grace covers you. It covers your sinfulness that no longer are you sinful any longer in God's eyes, right? So is it just imputed righteousness? Or does Jesus actually change us? Does something in us change? That view is called imparted righteousness. Meaning that when we accept Jesus into our life, when we allow God's healing waters to begin to flow, that something actually starts to change within us. Friends, that imputed righteousness, I believe, is what Paul is arguing for in the midst of this scripture today. That doesn't mean I think that the imputed, right, is any less true, that God does indeed cover us with the blood of Jesus, we might say, or, or put on the new salvation clothes that are, that are white so he doesn't see the sinfulness of us any longer. However, we have learned that and been brought up, that's all well and good. And I also think that Jesus is in the business of changing us, of making us holy, of making us more like him. God does hate our sinfulness. God hates the power of death and evil that are in our midst, that are in our world, that come to take over us individually. So he comes in the person of Jesus to fix it, to bind us to his death, first of all, in baptism, like Paul says in Romans 6, right? That we are bound with him in death, in his baptism. Paul had to be picturing someone being immersed fully under the waters and then raised to walk in newness of life. We are co-buried with Christ and co-raised with him, not just left in that position of death. So friends, what I'd like to point out to us today from the get-go is that grace is imputed to us and grace is imparted within us. Now those might seem like pronouns and getting nitpicky, And, like, that's something a preacher would want to talk about. But I want to talk to you about why it makes a difference. That grace is imputed to you and that grace is imparted within you. Paul is asking all throughout Romans, what country do you live in? And what I mean by that is that Paul, right before Romans 6, has just spent some time talking about whether we are in sin's country or whether we are in God's country. And Paul is saying that when we are in Christ, when we are baptized with him, we are no longer in sin's country. That we speak a new language now. That baptism into Christ has actually changed our passport. That we are citizens of a new land. But the problem that Paul is encountering clearly with these Christians that he is writing to in Rome at this time, and that we find all across time, is that we know the old language and the old customs so well. A song that was written 25 years ago uh, that, that holds deep resonance for me continually that I think of is written by this Christian band called Cademan's Call. It's called This World. And the the chorus of the song says, This world has nothing for me, and this world has everything. All that I could want, and nothing that I need. 
And I find that song to have some deep resonance, not just with what Paul is saying, but with my own experience. This world has nothing for me, and this world has everything. All that I could want, and nothing that I need. If you haven't looked it up, they just re-recorded it. Great, uh, you should look it up, that song. But anyway, um, for Paul, when, when he's speaking about grace like this, and T. Wright talks of it like this, he says, grace reaches where humans are and accepts them as they are because anything less would result in nobody's being saved. So in other words, we don't have to do something first to earn God's favor. Justification is by grace alone, through faith alone. But grace is always transformative. God accepts us where we are, but God does not intend to leave us where we are. You hear that? Grace is always transformative. God accepts us as we are, and does not intend to leave us where we are. See, Paul has to keep preaching and keep teaching about this. Because, first of all, people are not changing. They say that they're believing the right stuff about who Jesus is. But they are not experiencing the transformation that Paul intended for them to experience. But I also think that Paul has to keep going on about this because Paul truly believed that the grace of God is imparted in you and changes you. This is the fruit of the Spirit that Paul will talk about in other places. This is the new birth that he's saying, that you are born into this new life. You have this passport into this new country of God's kingdom and way. And friends, what I want you to hear this morning is that if grace indeed changes us, then grace fundamentally changes how we relate to one another. Paul writes in Romans 12, calling us living sacrifices. He's saying that the whole old sacrificial system is different and changed. It's not that sacrifices aren't required. It's just that we ourselves are the sacrifice now. We are living sacrifices, Paul's saying, who are transformed. Paul wants to present this entirely new sacrificial system. The temple is no longer required, neither are the animals, but we are both the place of sacrifice and the sacrifice itself. We present our whole selves to God in this image that Paul is giving. We know in our heads that we are citizens of God's kingdom, that we are raised with him. But the problem, like I quoted in that song, is that we currently live in this world. So over and over, Paul has to remind us, over and over, preachers and teachers have to remind us that even though we live in this world, this world has nothing for me, and this world has everything, all that I could want and nothing that I need. And so Paul will say then, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Patterns that all boil down to selfishness. Patterns that constantly ask, what is in it for me? Patterns that lead to destructive behavior that doesn't take the image of God in other people seriously. Don't be conformed to those patterns of the world, Paul says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul thinks this transformation is actually possible. That God, through God's Spirit, is actually capable of changing us. What if today, in 2022, the greatest hurdle that people who claim to have Jesus is this, that Jesus actually changes us? 
That God's grace is capable of working within us, transforming us from the inside out. Well, if this is possible, it would change not only us, but it would change our relationships. For the rest of Romans 12 lays out this notion of what it means to be the body of Christ. Oftentimes in this passage, we focus on the spiritual gifts that are there and how we need each of those gifts in the body of Christ. And you've heard plenty of sermons about that and connected to the Corinthians passage, you know, the foot can't say to the hand, I don't need you. We need all the gifts and everything like that. That is all true. But today I want to focus on this. Though there are many of us, we are one body in Christ. Saying that we are one body in Christ is a claim about faith. It is a claim about who we are and who each person who is connected with you is here. Friends, you are not a member of this church because you paid your dues. And in fact, you're not a member of this church because next week you fill out a Consecration Sunday card. That is not what it is all about. You are a member of this church because you are in and part of the body of Christ. And we need one another. That is what it means to be a member of one another, of a body together. In his book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis presents a senior devil training a junior devil. And every person in Lewis's presentation in this book has their own personal devil. And when his patient, or human, begins to become serious about faith and attend church, Here is the devil's guidance to him. He says, when he gets to his pew and looks round him, he sees just that selection of his neighbors whom he has hitherto avoided. You want to lean pretty heavily on those neighbors, make his mind flit to and fro between an expression like the body of Christ and the actual faces in the next pew. It matters very little, of course, what kind of people that next pew really contains. You may know one of them to be a great warrior on the enemy's side, talking about God. No matter, your patient, thanks to our father below, is a fool. Provided that any of these neighbors sing out of tune, or have boots that squeak, or double chins, or odd clothes, the patient will quite easily believe that their religion must therefore somehow be ridiculous. End quote. Friends, if we, if all we are is a group of people who have assembled, then we will get annoyed with something that someone else does in this body and leave. Or we will not really put ourselves into it anymore. Or we will only gather with other people in church that think like us and act like us. But here's what the Spirit is saying to us today. Jesus not only changes us and imparts his grace within us, Jesus changes our relationships and uses us to impart his grace to one another. In other words, Jesus is not just in the business of changing you individually. He is in the business of changing our relationships to each other through his grace. So that you become a grace bearer in this world. There's this kid's story that somehow 
we have in my house. I don't know how we get books sometimes, but it's called How Full Is Your Bucket? And you've maybe seen this thing before. Everyone has a bucket floating above their heads in this illustrated version of it. And we can see the people's buckets. And when someone has a good grade or is given a hug and a kiss by their parents, their bucket gets filled some. And when someone's dog eats their cereal before they go to school or they're left out when they're on the playground or they stain their shirt, their bucket loses some water and drips out. This book is a good book about compassion and how our actions affect others. I like teaching this book to my kids and reminding myself of its message. But I want to take this book out of its context and its intended purpose for a second. Friends, if all that happens in life is imputed righteousness, our bucket is never really filled. God just looks at our empty bucket and sees that Jesus has enough water for it all. But I believe that Jesus actually fills up our buckets to the brim. Jesus imparts his grace within us. He fills our buckets to full and overflowing life with him. And when Jesus does that, we actually have the ability to fill up other people's buckets too. We can be grace bearers offering that grace that God extends to others. So first, allow Jesus to fill up your bucket. He really, really wants to change you. And then allow him to change and work through your relationships. Allow Jesus to work through you to fill up other people's buckets. Your bucket will never run dry. For there is always enough grace for the grace bearer. Let us pray. Lord, on this day, I remember how much you desire to change me, to transform my heart, to transform me away from the ways of selfishness and destruction and into the ways of caring for others, of love and of peace. And Jesus, what we see in your word and what we see in your word proclaimed and promised is that we don't just change for our sakes, but that you are changing us for the sake of reaching others in your world. That you are changing us for the sake of building up your body in real and tangible ways. So God, for whichever message each one here needs to hear today, whether that's of a grace that is imparted in their lives where you are truly changing them, I pray that that would be the message that some would hear. God, whether it's a complete change of heart towards the other people that are sitting near and around them or relationships that are in their lives that are really frustrating, recognizing, God, that you fill us to the brim so that we can then fill others up with your grace and love. Lord, we pray that we would be those types of grace bearers in the world and that we would always come to you to get filled and restored once again. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.